0: Welcome to the Cytokine Signaling Forum's author presentations from ACR 2021, where authors take us through their posters and presentations on cytokine signaling, JAK inhibitors, and in this podcast, COVID-19. My name is Len Calabres. I'm the head of the Cleveland Clinic section of clinical immunology. And as we all know, the impact and efficacy of COVID-19 vaccination on patients with rheumatic disease has certainly been a hot topic this year. And in this edition, we'll be focusing on abstracts in the ACR that cover this and other allied topics in COVID-19. Enjoy.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Rita Machado, and I'm a rheumatologist at Hospital Central Maria one Portugal. And I would like to speak to you about my abstract. Uh, which aim to evaluate antibody response after SARS-CoV-2 infection in patients with rheumatic diseases. So, as we know, the development and duration of humoral Im- immunity after SARS-CoV-2 remains a hot topic. Even for the general population, uh, there is a few data published to Develop antibodies who uh, seem to protect against reinfection for at least six to eight months, but for the subgroup of patients with rheumatic diseases, we don't know yet if the same applies because uh, immunosuppression might preclude an adequate antiviral response. So uh, we performed a multicenter observational study, which aimed to evaluate uh, antiviral response. We ask people to collect blood sample uh, after uh, infection, at least three months. Uh, after the resolution of COVID 19, and all samples were processed in a single center. We tried to measure ETG antibodies against the RFD domain of the spike protein of the virus, and a seroconvection was assumed for any type superior or equal to 150. We had like uh, 179 patients with COVID 19 included in this study. But of those, only 79 uh, accepted to perform serology. And of these 79, most of them, um, namely 70 patients, uh, which means uh, 89% developed ETG uh, antibodies. So blood samples were collected between days 89 and 331 after symptom onset or positive PCR for those who were asymptomatic. And uh, most of the people who accepted to perform serology had inflammatory conditions, namely rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, extra spondyl arthritis, uh, systemic lupus, uh, systemic sclerosis, and Behçet's disease. We also had um, less than 20% of the uh, patients who had no inflammatory conditions, namely uh, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis and fibromyalgia. 38% of uh, people were under glucocorticoids, and almost 50% were under conventional DMARCs. A total of 50, 20% were under BDMARCs and most people had the moderate scores of COVID-19 which means they had pneumonia by clinical or radiological criteria but uh, without hypoxemia and without uh, need for hospitalization. So the graphics in this presentation aim to show that there are no uh, difference in the exterior conversion rate or in the EGG titles between patients with and without inflammatory rheumatic diseases. And also it's uh, curious to, to note that most patients uh, at high titers. In fact, uh, uh, the geometric mean title was 1 to 1,600. So um, it's uh, a curious fact. When we tried to uh, compare people who uh, develop antibodies with those who did not seroconvert, we found that age uh, gender and the type of rheumatic disease did not influence likelihood of uh, seroconversion. Also, disease activity before COVID-19 did not influence the likelihood of seroconversion. We can also, all patients under glucocorticoids developed in the virus, and the two patients on metoxymal also uh, seroconverted, who did not seroconvert, were uh, asymptomatic in a a higher proportion. And when we performed the logistic regression, we uh, found that TNF inhibitors, and asymptomatic COVID-19 were strongly associated with an absence of serological response. So, by the, with this work, we conclude that the majority of patients with rheumatic disease were able to mount an appropriate IgG response between three to eleven months post-infection. Most of them were on glucocorticoids and/or including two patients on rituximab and treatment with gene inhibitors, decreased the odds of single conversion, uh, while symptomatic COVID-19 was associated with a higher likelihood of developing an uh, overall immune response. Thank you so much uh, for your time, and I hope you have enjoyed this work.
0: Hi, my name is Don Anthony. I'm a professor of medicine and pathology at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. I uh, am a rheumatologist at the Cleveland VA and also Natural Health Medical Center in Cleveland. I'm happy to be a co-author on the presentation and Maya Matar and Sarah Abidumath will be uh, presenting.
2: Hello, uh, I'm Maya Matar. I'm an assistant professor at Case Western Reserve University and the chief of rheumatology at the Stokes Cleveland VA Medical Center. And... Uh, the Division Fellowship Director for University Hospitals, Cleveland Medical Center. I am happy as well to have worked with Sarah Abidumat and with Dr. Anthony uh, on this project. I hope you'll enjoy it. Thank you. Hi, I am um, Sarah Abidumat. I'm a third-year um, resident at Case Western Reserve University Hospitals, and I'm excited to um, present our abstract today. Thank you so much for inviting us. Our abstract is about COVID-19 vaccination experience in patients with rheumatoid arthritis treated at the Cleveland VA. Um, the purpose of our study is to assess whether rheumatoid arthritis patients who received the mRNA COVID vaccine developed a flare of their disease. And the reason um, why we conducted this study is, so after the development of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, there has been so many uncertainties as to whether receiving this vaccine would result in overactivation of the immune system and subsequently leading to a rheumatoid arthritis flare. It's a single-center retrospective study at the Cleveland VA Medical Center. The patients that were included were patients with rheumatoid arthritis who are actively on immunosuppressive therapy and receiving the Pfizer vaccine. A survey questionnaire was used to collect data about their rheumatoid arthritis, about their immunosuppressive therapy, and whether or not they developed symptoms after the vaccination. Now, to note that it was a live interview, so we actually called the patient and asked them the questions. 60 patients were included, and the primary endpoint was to calculate the percentage of any flare of rheumatoid arthritis following the vaccine. And then the secondary endpoint was to estimate the side effect profile from the vaccine among this population, to check if the patients developed a COVID-19 infection after receiving the vaccine, and to evaluate whether they stopped their immunosuppressive medications around this time. Starting with the baseline characteristics, now, since given that this study was conducted at the PA Medical Center, um, the majority of the population was a male predominant um, population. Um, The mean age was um, 72. Most of the patients had comorbidities. 78% 78% had hypertension, half of them had obesity, and then some of them had diabetes and CAD. Uh, regarding their immunosuppressive therapy, so 50% of the patients were on conventional DMARTs, 16% on biologic DMARTs, um, and 23% were on a combination of conventional and biologic DMARTs. Now, moving to the questionnaire and the questions that we ask the patients. So we asked them whether they're complying to the medications or not. And most of the patients reported compliance to the medications. And then other question that was asked is whether they had good symptom control of the rheumatoid arthritis. And 81% of the patients had good symptom control. Um, 6% reported fully controlled symptoms of their RA. Now regarding whether they developed symptoms after getting the Pfizer vaccine. So if we look at the graph above, so we can notice that around 43 patients did not develop any symptoms following the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, 16 patients reported sore arm, two, per, two patients reported ultralgias, headaches, um, and fatigue. Whether or not the patients stopped their immunosuppressive medications before or after the vaccine, so most of them did not stop it. However, it's important to mention that the patients who were contacted and who they received the COVID-19 vaccine um, prior to the release of guideline of stopping the immunosuppressive medication. Now, from the patients who reported symptoms following the COVID vaccine, these were 17 patients. Um, One of the 17 patients uh, mentioned that his symptoms were similar to uh, rheumatoid arthritis flare-up, and we're gonna discuss this shortly. It's important to mention that none of the patients who developed symptoms following the vaccine had to go to the emergency department or went and saw their rheumatologist. To summarize the results, um, 60 patients were contacted between the month of March and May, and one of the 60 patients reported symptoms um, of rheumatoid arthritis flare-up after taking the vaccine. Now, to note that this patient, he was the age of 70, he was on conventional DMARG, he, w- he reports that he was compliant to his medication. However, prior to getting the vaccine, he had poor symptom control. And then a day or two following the second dose of the Pfizer vaccine, he reported worsening of his atralgias and swelling of his joints. Moving forward with the results. Most Common side effects were soreness over the injection site with 26% of the patients reporting that, um, fatigue for one day, 3%, headaches and arthritis, 3%. Um, Most of the patients did not stop their immunosuppressive therapy before or after the vaccine. None of the patients developed a COVID-19 infection following the vaccine, at least up to the date of the phone call. Um, And then most of the patient had minimal side effect, which might suggest a decreased immune response in those patients. Um, As a conclusion, rheumatoid arthritis patients receiving the COVID-19 Pfizer vaccine did not develop major symptoms, flare, or side effects um, following the vaccine, hence it appears that it's safe in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Now, the question remains as to whether those patients who are receiving the um, COVID-19 vaccine are uh, mounting an adequate immune protection, especially that they have altered immune response. So the question remains as to whether COVID-19 vaccine uh, would confer adequate immune protection in these patients with altered immune response, um, either from underlying rheumatic diseases or secondary to their immunosuppressive medication. Some of the limitations that we faced were the small number of patients and the potential recall bias from the phone survey. And then last but not least, um, further research with larger number of patients is needed to evaluate the safety and effectiveness of the COVID-19 vaccine with patients with immune rheumatic diseases, including rheumatoid arthritis. Thank you so much.
3: Hello, my name is Johanna Andrejka and I'm a rheumatologist in Germany, a senior physician in Rheumazentrum Rurgiebit in Herne. I will present the abstract title SARS-CoV-2 vaccination willingness and predictors in patients with chronic inflammatory rheumatic diseases, shortly served. Whether patients with chronic inflammatory diseases are increased risk on developing severe COVID-19 infections is not entirely clear. Unfavorable outcomes of COVID-19 have been shown to be associated with medication, especially rituximab, but also JAK inhibitors and higher doses of corticosteroid. Out of this perspective, vaccination protection should be thought for all patients with inflammatory diseases. Recent surveys showed in certain patients an alarming degree of vaccine hesitancy. The vaccination rate against pneumococcal infection and influenza has recently been tested in our center before the pandemic even started, with a very disappointing result. Less than 50% of third patients were vaccinated against pneumococcus and influenza. Furthermore, a great hesitancy to be vaccinated has been reported from other countries in the general population and patients with inflammatory diseases. On this background, we started a survey of consecutive patients with inflammatory disease in comparison to patients without inflammatory diseases to assess their vaccination willingness against SARS CoV 2. In preparation of this prospective cross sectional study, a detailed structure questionnaire was developed. After approval by the ethical committee, patients of our tertiary rheumatology re- hospital were consecutively recruited and asked to answer yes or no questions regarding prior vaccination experiences pneumococcal infections, influenza, and travel vaccinations. And vaccination against SARS-CoV-2 using a numerical rating scale ranging from zero as fully disagree to 10 fully agree. Positive answers were generally assumed if values were higher or equal as seven. When regarding the vaccination willingness, we defined a definitive willingness if values were higher or equal as seven, and probable willingness if values were between five or six. To better describe the recruited population, social demographic data, comorbidities, disease characteristic, medication, and knowledge about their therapy were recorded. Further questions were related to history of previous infections in general and diagnosis with a PCR test or death due to SARS-CoV-2 among the household or close circle. Participants were also questioned about their compliance with hygiene rules against SARS-CoV-2, their confidence in and the fear of side effects caused by SARS-CoV-2 vaccination, their attitudes towards vaccination in general and um, identification with the risk group. For comparison, a separate cohort of patients without inflammatory diseases, but diagnosed with degenerative spine condition as um, osteoarthritis or fibromyalgia, were also prospectively included and asked to respond to some structured questionnaire 155 non-SERC patients were initially approached to participate in the study. Finally, 514 patients with inflammatory diseases and 100 patients without inflammatory diseases, as I said, degenerative spinal cord diseases, osteoarthritis or fibromyalgia, were included between February and April 2021. The mean age was similar, 54.7 54.7 years, but the percentage of women was higher in the group of comparison, 61.3 versus 83%. The educational level different side, slightly before groups, however, without statistical significance. Disease duration was longer for CERT patients, 9.8, compared to non-CERT, for 0.0 about 20% of patients in both groups reported to have experienced covid-19 associated death in their acquaintance a larger percentage of third patients felt that they were at increased risk for covid-19 60.4% versus 48.5% non-third patients Slightly more third patients, 79.6%, that non 3rd patients, 76.0% were willing to be vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2, although no statistical significance was seen. If the cutoff was changed to higher or Eagle 5 more than 90% of third patients is a rather positive attitude to vaccination against SARS-CoV-2. In both groups, about 60% of the patients mention that they would rather get vaccinated immediately. A generally negative attitude towards vaccination was more often found in non-SIRT patients than in SIRT patients, respectively, 6% versus 1.58%. When specifically asked if the vaccination against SARS-CoV-2 is useless, 1.9% and 3% of non sert found this statement correct. Only education and age statistically significantly predicted the vaccination willingness based on demographical data. For example, sex, age, body math index, and educational level. The educational level of CERT patients was slightly higher than in non-CERT, but the correlation to vaccination willingness was strong. This was different for age, which showed a weaker correlation. Furthermore, no correlation was seen with known risk factors for severe outcomes for COVID-19 infection, except for by hypertension. Moreover, when comparing the differences in vaccination willingness based on the number of comorbidities, we noticed in the third group that a patient with a status of no comorbidities had a lower vaccine acceptancy. Some correlations were not very surprising. Patients who were well informed about influenza and pneumococcal infection and those who had undergone vaccination related to traveling were more often willing to be vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2, same patients who stated themselves as being at high risk. In the third group, the willingness to be vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2 showed a moderate positive correlation with the level of information on influenza and pneumococcal infection, as well as a history of travel vaccination. This was not the case in the comparison group. More surprising were the results related to comorbidities, since only arterial hypertension came out as an influencing factor, while diabetes type 1 or 2, chronic kidney and lung diseases, cancer in the past five years, and osteoporosis did not seem to have an influence on vaccination willingness. Finally, neither the number nor the type of immunomodulatory therapy correlated with vaccination willingness. Third, patients who did not think that they are at, high, at a risk for COVID-19 infection were less likely to accept a SARS-CoV-2 vaccination. In conclusion, our survey highlights several predictors that are relevant for vaccination willingness, including appropriate information about its relevance. Even though the willingness was high and the patient thought that the vaccine were safe, many patients were afraid of side effects, and this was even before the discussion on the safety on viral vector vaccine started. The majority of third patient was ready to be vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2. This was especially the case in older patients, those with a higher educational level and those rated themselves as being at increased risk. Moreover, our survey highlights several factors that are relevant for vaccination willingness, including appropriate information about preventable infection and its relevance in general. Surprisingly, immunosuppressive medication did not play a key role in the decision to be vaccinated. The fact that known risk factors for a severe COVID-19 did not show an interference with vaccine acceptancy is alarming and indicate that more patient education is needed. New strategies should be developed to increase the vaccination rates in patients with inflammatory diseases.
4: Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much for inviting me to present my poster. Uh, uh, I am Omar Saeed, Dr. Omar Saeed, Rheumatology Consultant. Uh, I will be presenting on, uh, on my behalf of my team uh, from uh, Qatar, Hamad Medical Corporation. The title is The Humoral, humoral Immunity of mRNA-Based SARS-Coronavirus-2 Vaccine in Autoimmune Rheumatic Disease Patients Receiving Immunomodulators. So as we know that the spread of the many va- COVID-19 vaccines uh, at the beginning of 2021, a lot of uncertainties about the response of these vaccines in our uh, autoimmune rheumatic disease patients, especially they are receiving immunosuppression and immunomodulators. So the objective of this study was to evaluate the humoral immunity response of mRNA-based vaccines in patients with autoimmune rheumatic disease receiving immunomodulators. So our methodology was uh, we retrospectively identified patient autoimmune rheumatic disease patient who uh, who were covid-19 uh, infection naive and they received mRNA based vaccine covid-19 vaccine and uh, they underwent uh, s protein serology test s serology test is one type of testing to see uh, the humoral response to mRNA based vaccine covid-19 vaccine and uh, these patients should under uh, receive the, this test at least uh, two weeks, uh, post the second dose of the vaccination. We need to here to mention that the uh, we consider uh, uh, patient are zero positive if the titer of the S protein is more than or equal one hundred thirty two unit, and non reactive if it is uh, less than zero point eight unit per mL and poorly reactive if it is less than 132 units per ml. So uh, we'll go to the results. We identified find 96 subjects, and uh, 60% of them were females, and the median age was 46.7 uh, years. Uh, as expected, uh, the majority are from Arab population, and the, the, followed by the Asian ethnicity. So, rheumatoid arthritis was the most common disease. It's uh, around uh, 56% of the cohort, followed by axial spa and psoriatic arthritis uh, patient in 10% of the cohort. Systemic lupus erythromatosis was only in 5%. As you see in uh, uh, in the tables shown in the abstract, uh, we did two types of analysis. So, we compare different types of medications. Uh, and we calculate the B value between reaction and non-reaction. Our non-reactive patient, uh, also we did another, ta- another analysis. We compare reaction versus poorly reaction. As I mentioned in the introduction, reaction or positive reactive, uh, any tighter above uh, 0.8 and poorly reactive is, uh, also non-reactive any tighter eight and below. For poor reaction, uh, it is any tighter uh, below 132. So we stratified our patient according to their medications. So we have methotrexate monotherapy. We have methotrexate in uh, combination with any other DMRDs, biological or conventional synthetic DMRDs. And uh, we, we have the hydroxychloroquine, sulfasalazine, leflunomide, mycophenolate, NTTNF-alpha, and, and JAK inhibitors, ratoximabs, tocilizumab, and glucocorticoids. So we'll start first between reaction and non-reaction. Uh, as you see, the uh, the B value is significant with the roxicamab uh, user, uh, which means they they didn't build enough immune response after a second dose of COVID nineteen vaccine, and also the same for the glucocorticoids. However, the number of the patient in the glucocorticoids is small, which is expected because we have. Most of our patients, they have access to steroid-sparing agent, uh, including biological treatment, and also the B-value is significant with mycophenolate. But however, we cannot uh, draw a conclusion because uh, because of very few uh, small sample size. If we go for the uh, if we compare reaction uh, versus bully reaction, we have the same findings. Uh, we find that rituximab and glucocorticoids is significantly associated with bully reaction. So what we conclude from this uh, small study, that the most commonly used uh, conventional synthetic DMRDs like methotrexate, black sulfasalazine, in addition to TNF-alpha inhibitors and the JAK inhibitor, IL-6 inhibitors, all of them, all of these patients, they build enough immune response post the second uh, dose of COVID mRNA-based vaccine. And uh, we found that uh, there is a poor reaction or poor uh, vaccine seropositivity was associated with patients who, was, uh, who were receiving Rituximab and the glucocorticoids uh, before, uh, before the vaccination. Thank you very much for uh, listening to us.
5: Hello, my name is Tal Gazit, and I'm from Carmel Medical Center. I'll be presenting our work on the generation of autoantibodies and their association with rheumatic disease flares in adult patients with autoimmune inflammatory rheumatic diseases and the general adult population following BNT 162b2 mRNA COVID-19 vaccination. I would like to thank my colleagues who worked on this project that I'll be presenting. This is our abstract as it appears on the ACR convergence uh, website and also on the app of the conference, so you can look at it, and that's what I'll be presenting. So the rapid spread of the COVID-19 pandemic has created the need for mass vaccination of patients with autoimmune rheumatic diseases, despite lack of knowledge or data on the effect of BN2-162b2 mRNA vaccine on the underlying autoimmune diseases and any possible generation of autoantibodies or disease flares. While various studies have shown that COVID-19 patients can generate autoantibodies following infection, specifically serine antiphospholipid antibodies, those were noted in several studies as well as other antiphospholipid antibodies, we were unable to find current research studies on immune seroconversion in both patients with autoimmune rheumatic diseases or healthy individuals from the general population following BN2-162b2 mRNA vaccination. So, the objective of our study was to investigate the generation of autoantibodies following BN2-162b2 mRNA vaccine and its association with disease flares in patients with pre-existing autoimmune diseases compared with the general population. This study was actually part of a larger three-center prospective study that was aimed at monitoring immunogenicity, efficacy, and safety of the two-dose regimen BN2-162b2 mRNA vaccine in adult patients with autoimmune rheumatic diseases, including immune-mediated arthritis, connective tissue diseases, systemic vasculitis, and idiopathic inflammatory myositis compared to control subjects from the general population. Data from this study, which specifically examined efficacy and safety of the vaccine was already presented in ULR 2021 virtual conference as well as in the Annals of Rheumatic Disease. So you can look at our publication there. This study that I'm presenting now was actually a sub-study which was carried out from our center only. These were the same patients enrolled in the larger study. But in our case, we also took CIRA uh, prior to vaccination, in two to six weeks following the second vaccine dose, administered in Israel from December 2020 to February 2021 in patients with pre existing autoimmune conditions, as well as general adult population of matching age, to examine titers of antinuclear antibodies as measured by immunofluorescence and multiplex, antiphospholipid antibodies, and rheumatoid factor. The study is currently continuing at this time following the third dose of BN2-162b2 mRNA vaccination, which was carried out in Israel during the months of August and September 2021. This data I will not be presenting today, as it was not submitted previously to the ACR. We're currently tabulating our data. So data on generation of autoantibodies was calculated for each type of autoantibody individually based on number of patients with available data. And it's important to note that, especially for the control group, some patients were recruited after receiving the first dose of the vaccine, but they were included in the study only if they had prior immune serology within the preceding two years in order to ascertain whether seroconversion did or did not occur. So any older serologic data was not counted, and they were not included for the purpose of this substudy. Most patients, however, did enroll in the uh, study and underwent serologic testing prior to the first vaccine dose, so we did have data on a large number of patients. Post-vaccination seroconversion was defined as any first-time ANA, antiphospholipid, or rheumatoid factor seropositivity. Pre and post-vaccination disease activity indices were assessed as appropriate for each disease. So for instance, CDI score for RA, um, IPART scoring and MDA for psoriatic arthritis, the BASDAI score for ankylosing spondylitis, as well as the SLIDI score for lupus. And any signs or symptoms of new onset autoimmunity were noted in controls. A total of 166 patients with pre existing rheumatic diseases and 59 controls actually participated in this study in our center, 72.9% of whom were female. This was true also in the control group, where the majority of patients were female, and there was no statistically significant difference in this regard between the patient and control group. Patients with pre existing autoimmune conditions were significantly older than controls, with a mean age of 58 plus minus 14.6 years versus 50.8 plus minus 14.7 years, respectively. This was statistically significant. Disease representation in patients with pre existing autoimmune conditions included predominant group was rheumatoid arthritis, followed by psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, lupus. Vasculitis, both large vessel and small vessel, immune mediated myopathy, uh, myositis, and Sjogren's disease, followed by DG4 related disease. A total of 94.6%, 157 patients with pre existing autoimmune conditions were treated with immunomodulatory medications or immunosuppressive medications. This is the vast majority of patients. Immunoserologic data before and following vaccination was available for ANA serology in 82.5% of patients with pre-existing rheumatic diseases and 76.3% of controls. Antiphospholipid serology was available for 80.7% of patients with autoimmune rheumatic diseases and 86.2% of controls. And rheumatoid factor serology was available for 83.1% of patients with pre-existing rheumatic conditions and 80. 80- 4.7% of controls. You can see this information in Table 1 showing patient and control group characteristics. So we had 166 pa- 66 patients with pre existing rheumatic diseases and 59 controls. And you can see um, the significant age difference here, predominance of females. You can see the different rheumatic conditions. Uh, again, we said the majority was RA. Patients were on multiple different types of medications. We had enzymes, glucocorticosteroids, various conventional DMARDS. You can see of all types, including mycophenolate mofetil. We had many different representations of biologic therapy, including anti-TNF agents, and including the biosimilar uh, ramipril for infliximab, which was already available in Israel. We had tocilizumab as as the anti-IL-6 blocker. Uh, Cirilumab was not available at the time. We also had ustekinumab, as you can see, anti-IL-12-23 blockade. We had anti-IL-23 gazelcomab, anti-IL-17, both ixikizumab and secukinumab, apremilast, anti-CD20, which was rituximab, or the biosimilar truxima bilimumab, abatacept, the various JAK inhibitors, colchicine, and cannabinoids. So again, 94.6% of patients were on some form of medication. Now results. The ANA seroconversion rate was 10.2% or 14 cases in patients with pre-existing autoimmune conditions compared to 6.7% or three cases in controls. This was not statistically significant in difference between the two groups, the antiphospholipid conversion rate was lower, only two cases in the group with pre-existing rheumatic conditions compared to no cases in controls, no cases of rheumatoid factor conversion were observed in both groups. There was no statistically significant difference in age or sex among individuals who experienced seroconversion to those who did not, regardless of pre-existing autoimmune status, Post vaccination disease activity remained stable in patients who generated autoantibodies, and no new signs of disease onset were seen in healthy controls who underwent seroconversion in the follow up period following vaccination. This is table two. It shows both the controls and the patients with pre existing rheumatic diseases who underwent seroconversion, three cases of ANA seropositivity and here 14 cases in uh, patients with preexisting rheumatic diseases. One patient uh, had both ANA uh, seroconversion and antiphospholipid seroconversion, and um, there was one patient who only had um, applaus positivity following seroconversion. You can see that the majority of patients were female, um, as was the majority of patients in the study. There was no significant difference in age here, And various diseases were represented, both rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, lupus, and ankylosing spondylitis. On various different types of medications, there was no predominance of any medication. There was also one patient who was not on any medication, and one patient, actually two patients, sorry, who were on Plaquenil alone, so you can see that. So in conclusion, Vaccination with a BNT 162B2 vaccine resulted in the generation of autoantibodies in a minority of patients with pre existing rheumatic conditions or control subjects from the general population. Autoantibody generation was not associated with disease flares or new onset disease, and the studies ongoing regarding post immunization, seroconversion, and disease flare ups following the third dose of BNT 162B2 vaccination
0: thanks for joining us for this edition of our acr authors reviews i hope you enjoyed these presentations make sure to subscribe to csf podcasts on apple soundcloud or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on our great congress content or any of our other usual monthly podcasts you can also visit csf web pages on cytokinesignaling.com where you can access a whole range of resources from monthly slide summaries or the latest papers to accredited CME courses and even more content in between. Thanks for listening and come back often.